Welcome to the Black Hat Chat podcast with Lee Johnson and Reverend Kai, a weekly show about living as a modern crafter where two witches discuss a variety of topics concerning magic and witchcraft. You can also catch us live on Fridays on YouTube. The links are in the description of the podcast or in the about section. So grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea and let's begin. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, good people around the world. This is the Black Hat Chat. We are talking about the cunning crafts and all such things. And um, we were just saying we're not sure how many people are going to get on today. And in, in where I am in South Africa, there's lots of people with load shedding. And in the US, it's uh, the holidays. So, yep. yes. Yep. Hopefully... There's some people here since we uh, delayed the show so that we could talk to people this week. I didn't even think about it being a holiday weekend and all of that because mm. uh, I, I don't I don't participate in this particular holiday. Uh, everybody's out going mm. mad crazy for sales and deals, and I'm just like, no thanks, I'll stay home. <laughs> <laughs> Safer that way. Much safer. <clears throat> Much safer. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm guessing some people will be watching tomorrow, uh, watching the recording. Uh, if you are here and you just want to say hi, yeah. please do so. Give us Put a wave in the chat. Say something. Yep. Um, all right. So anybody watching tomorrow or after the live, an announcement first. Um, we are going to be completely and utterly rebranding the show. It is going to get its own website. Uh, it's got its own channel already. I'm busy moving all of the Black Hat Chat videos over to an archive there. And it's going to be called Into the Wildwood. So this will tie in nicely with our Wildwood temple that we have on Discord. That's um, not changing. That's not changing, no. That's going to stay as it is. Um, but Into the Wild World, as I said, is going to get its own website, uh, its own new branding, and its own channel, and everything else. We're changing everything. Except the um, content of the show. And, and we're, we're going to stay here as well. <clears throat> <laughs> we'll. We'll just be on a different channel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll move over to a new YouTube channel. We'll no longer be uh, doing this on Lee's channel, but we'll still be doing Friday Lives. Uh, we're still going to basically have the same format to the show where we hang out and we talk and we chat with you about various topics around cunning craft. Um, and we're changing the name because it's a good time to do so. Uh, but we are going to keep both the Discord and the Facebook groups. So if you're already a member of one or both of those, don't worry. None of that's going to change. And uh, once we get everything good and set up, uh, we will we will publish our links everywhere, of course, and update our link tree and all of that sort of thing. We will make it easy to find us. Um, the only thing that is going to be noticeably different 
is the RSS feed for the podcast. Because we're changing our name, because we're moving to a new website, it's not going to be a continuation of the Black Hat chat on podcast catchers. You're going to have to go subscribe to a new podcast called Into the Wildwood. Uh, but we're not quite there. That's not set up yet. We're just giving everybody some notice. Our plan is uh, to do this around the first of the year. So it's about a month out or so, a little more. Um, but we're working on it behind the scenes uh, as fast as our little fingers can type and our day jobs allow. Yeah. And the People's Library is here. Hello. How are Hello. you doing? <clears throat> All right. So... Yeah, we're not going to we're not moving next week or anything like that. It will be um, the beginning of next year. Uh, we just want to give everybody fair notice and to uh, if you go and look in the description, there's a link to um, into the Wildwood YouTube channel if you want to go subscribe there in the meantime and um, just ignore all the old content that I'm moving over and at least you'll be on there when we do make the change. Or you can go rewatch the old content if you want, because we don't want to lose our archives. You know, we've done more than 50 of these shows. I don't know, a lot. Uh, We're on 86, I think. Oh, wow. Wow. That's yeah. a lot. Somewhere so, around there. So we're definitely not going to lose that old content. And actually, today, we are revisiting the topic of our very first <laughs> Black Hat chat show, where at the end of the show, we said, hey, we're going to come back to this topic sometime because we've got more to talk about. So, 86 shows later, <laughs> <laughs> here we are. We did get there. We did get yeah, there. We're in a half a bunch. Lou is here. Hello, Lou. Glad you could join us. Thanks. All right. So, dark and light time. Um. I think what we're basically talking about here is astral time versus mundane time. Yeah, that's that's a good way to phrase uh, it. Parallel between them. Hmm. I did mention earlier, we could have called it hedge riding, uh, which I think is quite interesting. I, I mean, when when I when I usually think of hedge riding, it's more of um, astral projection. Uh, of not working in both times simultaneously. Now, see, I'd call that hedge crossing. Mm. And yeah, that makes more sense. I know that a lot of times people use those two terms interchangeably, hedge writing and hedge crossing, or they'll say things like, I'm a hedge writer. And I've always distinguished between those two because of that difference. Um, you know, we could talk about by location or simultaneous astral projection also but the thing we're really focusing on here is there are two worlds two time streams two perceptions two realms and you can be in one or the other i think that's pretty clear to a lot of people the astral projection mm -hmm. out-of-body experiences uh shamanic trance uh the the flight those sorts of things but you can be in both of them at the same time when we talk about things like one foot in each world sometimes that's just a a nice poetic metaphor that talks about being on the fringes of society 
or you know when you have to consider the ramifications of things for your ethics you have to consider both realms that sort of stuff but there's also this hedge writing thing where you really are in two places at once mm. and i think the interesting thing here is that um i mean like shamanic trance for instance if you go on a shamanic journey you sit down you might put your drumming on and you'll might go down the hole into the underworld etc 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 but you're sitting still and you're sitting in trance you still you do have awareness of your surroundings your physical surroundings while you're doing your journey um you become more immersed in your journey though but you still have that awareness but this is going beyond that. I mean, this is mm -hmm. talking about actually operating, moving around physically, while you're also moving around astrally and doing work in the, both realms at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I had a car and I used to drive, um, and it used to be those trips when I used to work at the office years ago. Um, I would drive back from the office. You know, when you go take the same route over and over and over and over again, you have those moments where you kind of just zone out. Yeah, you end Still up on driving. autopilot. Yeah. I used to actually use that time to do a lot of magic. Well, I wouldn't advise it, but, you know, I did. <laughs> yeah, I, w I wouldn't advise it either. Please keep your attention on the road. <laughs> but the, you, you do, you go on autopilot, you don't, you know, you stop at the, at the traffic lights, you stop at the stop streets, and you carry on and perfectly fine. And then 15 minutes later, you're kind of trying to figure out what just happened. You don't remember anything. I used to use that time to actually do magic. Um, I'd be thinking about doing X, Y, and Z, and I'd imagine myself doing it as if I was, as if I was in ritual. Mm -hmm. um, it was quite effective, actually. Yeah, so, I, I like to to trance out like that while doing household chores while spinning mm. um you know those th those repetitive traditional arts i guess um i mean i don't consider vacuuming and doing the dish and dishes an art but uh spinning and knitting and uh, crocheting that sort of stuff weaving sitting at a loom and getting that rhythm going and weaving that's super trance inducing um just mm. like spinning with a big wheel is drop spinning not quite as much but still especially you have a nice fancy whirl with pretty patterns on it you <laughs> watch that spin you're you're over pretty quickly so the the big thing here is um not it is doing both at the same time and there's, it's not always necessarily, I'm going to sit down and set aside this bit of time to do dual activities, you know. There's also working in dark and light time that's kind of like alternating stair steps where it's a little mm -hmm. bit here and it's a little bit there and it's a little bit here and it's a little bit there. And there are points where they kind of collide and intersect and separate and that sort of thing. And since those time streams, those slip streams are not moving at the same rate, the way they intersect and the way they mingle is very magical. 
noticeable, um, meaningful. A lot of times it really brings some things home, um, really transmits information, messages, because of where they line up when they're not moving at the same rate. Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I think it's, very, it's very much shifting awareness from one to the other. I mean, if you you start doing something in the astral um, and then you get an email come through, you have to focus on the email, so you shift your awareness back, back to the physical, you do your email, and then you can shift your awareness back to the astral. So mm -hmm. keep moving backwards and forwards. Um, Lou said, don't drive in magic and don't drive in divine. <laughs> Just trying to, trying to make bumper stickers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think this is how it has to start to, to begin the, the work of bilocation or, or hedge writing or working in dark and light time is it has to be one than the other and one than the other and back and forth and back and forth until you get to the point where you really can see out of both eyes. Uh, mm. And that, I don't know any other way to um, get there except practice and work at it. Do it. Yeah, because um, mm. we can we can describe all these things again and again, but practically speaking, um, you're just going to have to do it a lot in order to mm. to get that experience and understand. Uh, how that feels. Would you say it's a case of sitting down, deciding you're going to take this astral journey or the shamanic journey and why you, you know, consciously taking that journey and then getting up and continuing in both? Or is it just a case of I'm in both worlds? I think it starts... Because with that consciousness, but mm. I think the goal you're eventually going for is just being in both worlds. I mean, if you live there, you live there. Yeah. You know, um, if I, I, I clearly live in the physical world, I'm here with a physical body using physical voices, you know, to talk and all of that sort of thing. Um, but I have another life that's in another mm. world that has just as much meaning um, and just as much activity as the physical world does. Mm. And I don't think that gets talked about very often because we usually treat astral projection and even astral work, like going to the astral temple, doing ritual, doing magic, that sort of thing. We treat it like it's a singular activity it's a place you mm. go and it's still a singular consciousness we're talking about. The consciousness is either here in the mundane or it's over there in the astral or the spiritual or the fey realm or whatever you want to call it. Um, and yet when we're talking about this bilocation and simultaneous experience, that's something different because... Um, you're not just in one place or the other. You're not mm -hmm. sitting extremely still in the physical 
doing nothing physical except maintaining a physical body while you go do things in the astral and vice versa. Because yeah. we're always told that, you know, if you do a shamanic journey or astral projection or anything of the sorts, um, when you're done what you're doing, you have to come back mm -hmm. and you have to follow the steps back. Mm -hmm. And with shamanic journeying, you've got the shamanic drumming, which has a callback rhythm to it. Mm -hmm. um, so it is that singular thing, and you, you have to come back. Um, there's hardly any mention of go there and stay there and just carry on with your normal everyday life as well. Because I don't, mention of it. I don't think it's um, common. Mm hmm and I don't know um, that it's a place that everybody ends up. You know, this is not the outgrowth of a natural consequence of being a regular astral projector or a regular journeyer. Most people will mm. never, never stumble into this. Um, even with, you know, regular daily uh, out-of-body work, however you want to describe that, because... The work is out of their body. The The trance is going somewhere else. The journey is leaving and going. Mm. And I think all of that is still necessary and core components of cunning practice. <clears throat> you know, I, I don't think that this um, bilocation, simultaneous work in, in multiple time streams is uh, uh what do i want to say widespreadly uh widely practice mm. um it's not something i see in lots of cultures but it's something that i see hinted at in the lore so i don't know if it's one of those oh we've lost it kind of things or if it's one of those you know uh, reading the meta levels in the poetry, reading the meta levels in the lore, and realizing, oh, well, there's this this level, and there's this level, and then hey, hey, here's another one I found up here, kind of thing, you know, because mm. you dive through um, the the true lore, I call it, um, the stuff that has that deep poetry, the stuff that has all of those levels you can understand things on because the kinnings are well worked, because the metaphors are well worked. And every time you go back through it, you pick up little pieces, and then you have those epiphanies where you understand it on a whole nother level. And it's like, wait, 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 this all applies in this whole other way. And I think this, um, working in both dark and light time, simultaneously is one of those whole other ways to understand it mm. uh, deborah is here hello deborah and viv is here hello hello, hello. and deb gave, deb gave us 15 dollars thank you very much oh, thank you thanks for the tip um oh now i forgot what i was going to say there we go, go on. <laughs> uh Say cat, I think. Uh, I think that's how you say the name. Namaste. Uh, it's good to hear quality content. Um, that two from two of the most respected occult patricians. So thank you very much. Oh, thank Best you. wishes from India. Thank you. 
you very much. Um, yeah, no, my train of thought went awesome. way. Soon. Just gone. It's gone to the, gone to uh, dark time now. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I always felt. Well, not always felt. Um, kind of, I suppose, came came to the awareness at some point that, um, you know, as, as you said, we we kind of speak of going on an astral journey, going on a shamanic journey as a singular thing where you are moving from this physical state into a um, more etheric state or astral state, and then coming back again. But I've always felt we're always there anyway. Because we are everywhere. Right. In a sense. And we do talk about leaving the body, getting out of the body, right? Mm. But your body doesn't just cease to be when you leave it. Mm. It's still there. It's still functioning. Otherwise, you couldn't come back to it. Mm. So flip that around and think about it from the perspective of your astral body. It's still there, right? It's still functioning. Mm. It's still doing things. Now, a lot of people think of it as the astral body resides within the physical. It's encased by the Hammer, right? It goes inside here. And so you're never not in your astral body because either it's in here running this machine or it's out without the spacesuit. Mm. And so therefore the singular point of consciousness is rooted within that astral body or uh you know the the fetch self the the traveling bit but you can also still see with one eye into that non-physical realm at the same time mm. as having uh the fetch self rooted within the body. We talk a lot about when the fetch comes home, it goes to sleep in our chest. The curling, the enfolding that happens. Like, you know, this is no longer the time of the fetch. It goes to sleep, just like our physical body goes to sleep. And we experience um, unconsciousness, right? That's what we call that. Because we are not conscious of the passing of time we are not conscious of the sensations that we're experiencing in the physical but we often talk about that as as dream time and a lot of people feel that dreams are a form of astral projection if not necessarily getting out of your body at least experiencing the astral world more heavily than the physical so uh, i think of this uh, as you know dream time or dream walking. Now, uh, of course, Lee and I have talked in the past that the first time we encountered this was when we first met 20 some years ago. Of course, it's got to be more than 20 years ago because we said that a year ago. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, long I mean, ago. It's about 25 now, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. long ago <laughs> in the before now time, <laughs> we were working in an online coven. And we were spread all across the world. All the members of the coven were all over everywhere, lots of different time zones, whatever. And the main method of communication at the time on the internet was email. 
We didn't have video calls. Uh, <laughs> we definitely didn't have Zoom and all of that sort of thing. Mm. It, it was email lists. And so our group got together and we did ritual by email. And it was, uh, you know, we described what we were doing and how things were interacting and we'd send our part of the story off. And then when the next person was awake in their light time, they would read the email and continue the story. And over time, what happened, I think to all of us, I haven't talked to lots of us this many years later, um, is that we merged that dark and light time. We merged that ritual dreaming with the waking because we were experiencing multiple time streams at the same time. Mm. One was moving much slower. Um, the, the ritual, it took us a week or more to do a ritual. But in that ritual space, in that astral temple, across the hedge, that was a couple hours, just like a normal ritual would be a couple of hours, you know. Um, so we were still interacting in light time consciously. We had to like type emails, right? <laughs> That's definitely a physical activity. But we were also, uh, especially after much practice, this didn't happen right off. This took months and months and months of doing this before we actually like really connected, really were in the astral, really were experiencing those. We started to be able to tell what had happened in the ritual before we got the emails. Mm -hmm. You know, um, sometimes even we would get emails and someone would be like, oh, you left this bit out. <laughs> You know, because we all experienced it. We were all mm. really there. And, and you know, it, it wasn't just uh, the role play of telling a story together. It was much more than that. But I think that's the interesting part with, with what we did back then was that it wasn't just um, the astral work and working in dark and light time. It was also the storytelling aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think was very important to the whole process. Yeah, I didn't really put that together back then. Um, mm. Actually, I, I really didn't put that together until recently, that the the uh, group creation of the story was an important aspect of what was happening. Mm. And that had positives and negatives, you know, um, because when you give over a portion of your identity to a group, uh, you've given up some control. And mm. that has both positive and negative aspects to it. Um, and, and that's why, you know, it's so important to be with a coven where it is a good fit, where, um, you really, really trust the people. Um, you know, I, uh, from Wicca, we have the term imperfect love and perfect trust. And a lot of people poke fun at that because they don't understand that that kind of trust is really about the surrendering of the ego, not to be dismissed and dissolved, 
because that's not part of the cunning craft. We keep our egos. We use them for magic. But it's to allow the ego, the identity, the, um, the concept of the self to be shaped by other people. And that's, that's a big fucking thing when you get down to thinking about it. Because we're doing it magically, you know, within magical space where time is sped up but slowed down. Time is different. <laughs> and um, the, the magic circle is a refracting lens. The, the process of having the self refracted back to you through multiple other hearts, uh, perceptions, um, uh, mouths, you know, because the mouth is the shaper of the logos. You don't just go along creating the identity at the normal pace that would happen in the mundane or in the light time. It happens so fast and so much more intensely because every person, every mouth involved in the shaping of the logos of the identity there is just as powerful and has just as much say as you do. So instead of one person shaping, it's now seven or 10 or 13. And it's, it's multiplicatively bigger, more impactful, quicker, which is why it's so easy to, to screw yourself up with magic. You know, we have all these cautions about doing various rituals and that sort of thing and magicians going insane. That's, that's why right there. Um, it's much more intense. It's mainlining change. And uh, we're humans. We're not good at change. We just aren't. Mm. Um, we, you know, we do our best to adapt, but it's tough. And if you, if you get too much change too quickly, you can't adapt. No one can. There's no superpower, uh, you know, ninth level mage or, or whatever that allows you to adapt quicker. There's just some limits. So this process of, of storytelling, but as a group in a magical setting is really, really intense. Mm. Uh, Deb had to go and get stuff for a garden. Bye. See you later. Um, I was actually reading something earlier. It was from Castaneda's book, Magical Passes, about it was concerning the passes for um, dreaming. And it was an interesting uh, discussion in there that Don Juan mentioned that the the shamans at some stage noticed, because the, 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 he, he speaks about the assemblage point. So all of the energy of awareness comes to one point and then it, it feeds through to us and that's where how we get our get our awareness um they at some point they notice that when someone's sleeping and they're dreaming their assemblage point shifts mm. so they wanted to find a way to get it to shift um you know consciously um and they tried psychotropic plants and everything else it was that just left it out of control so they tried kept trying different methods and everything else and then they finally got there and they found that if they shifted it to certain points, they went to different worlds. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, they, they kind of mapped 600 different positions, different worlds you could go to. 
But the interesting thing that I've, I've found, because you were talking just now about, um, you know, when we when we do this, we don't our physical body stays here. We don't. It doesn't go somewhere. Um, but what what was spoken about in there was that some of them went to these new worlds and found a way to uh, you know, stalking energy and stuff like that. They found a way to stay there. For long. So they stayed there for a longer period of time. And then some of them decided they liked it there. So they just didn't come back. Yeah, it, that as you, happens. As you're reading it, yeah, as you're reading it, you're kind of thinking to yourself, now, if they stayed there, what happened to their physical body in this reality, in this, uh, you know, mundane physical reality, if they stayed there? But it is, I think it's very much the same thing. You kind of operate in, in both worlds. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you left, if you left your physical body and decided to stay there, eventually the physical body will deteriorate because it's not getting any mm. nourishment. You yeah. know, yeah. life uh, feeds on life. It is a constant turnover and breakdown and maintenance. You know, we talk about the three cauldrons within our body those cauldrons are places of transformation they transform death into life they're doing the fungi thing you know they're they're turning the wheel they are the boiling roiling cauldron and if you're not putting fuel into the cauldron for it to transform it will find fuel mm. and eventually your physical form only has so much uh, available fuel to burn just like your astral form mm. only has so much available fuel to burn but you can you can transfer some of that fuel back and forth if you want but when nourishment incoming nourishment stops there there's you know an end date involved in that mm. no matter what realm we're talking about no matter what body we're talking about uh, you got life feeds on life. You have to continue that cycle. Mm. I think what's interesting here, though, is I mean, uh, we, you know, we're, we're talking about a physical and astral body, which we separate in order to go and do two different things at, at the same time by location. But talking about the actual assemblage point, the assemblage point is that point where all awareness comes in and we perceive it in a certain way. If we move our, our assemblage point, we perceive something different. We have a different awareness of something else. Um, but it doesn't mean that we have a, another assemblage point. So we're still the same body. We're just experiencing an entire different, different reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's not split consciousness. Yeah. It's still singular consciousness, but it's yeah. dual input. And I mean, yeah. theoretically, I could, I could uh, understand the concept of, of like tripartite input, you know, um, especially if like you're doing this all under the auspices of Hecate at a, a three-way crossroads, <laughs> mm. right? That's going to make more mm. sense than the dual input, but like hedge writing really is the division 
between this and the other. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, sometimes I experience it like uh, seeing out of both eyes, this eye, no, wait, this eye <laughs> sees the other realm while, while this eye sees the mundane. Uh, but a lot of times when it comes together, it it's like there's a tree over here and a tree over here, and they kind of do the 3D uh, movie thing, and they merge. They're not perfectly in sync, but they're real mm. close, and I can tell, oh, that's actually the same tree. But in the astral, it looks like this, and in the physical, it looks like this, and I kind of experience it as an overlay like that, where mm. I can see some and see others and at other times the uh, they're not lined up what's happening in the astral is not what's happening in the physical and vice versa and that's much much harder to maintain an experience i get that in disorienting bits i don't maintain that kind of split vision for a long time because it's disorienting it makes me nauseous you know, mm. to watch two things wholly and to feel two different things wholly. Because there's, there's astral wind, there's, um, there's astral heat and emanation from all of the other beings that are in the astral world. And at first, I don't think we really pick up on a lot of that astral sensation. Most people are very visual. And that is the mm. primary sense that they're experiencing the astral world through. And even a lot of people, you know, they'll go on their first um, two or three astral projections and end up backing out of it as soon as they experience that 360 astral vision. Where you're no longer a predator with eyes in the front of your head and, you know, your 160 uh, degree visual is suddenly... 360 and <laughs> up and down and below you're an all-seeing eye you can see everything all around you in every direction and getting getting your mind to process all of that information is overwhelming so then to bring all of that and add all of the sensation the hearing the smelling the touching the tasting in with that you know, that gets, it gets to be a lot and a lot of people back out of astral projection at that point because it's so hard to process. And now we're talking mm. about double up on that. <laughs> Take all that, <laughs> stick it in there with all of the physical sensation too, and be aware of mm. both. And it's, it's a lot. It really is. So this is not like mm. um, full on experience 24 seven because I think that's just too much. Mm. I think we men mentioned this the last time we did uh, this show, was that um, um, I think until you are experienced uh, a little bit more, it's better to take it slow. Mm. Um, because as you said, you know, if, if you're not passing that energy back and forth, you can get drained. And being in, in another world can be very tempting and you do want to stay there um, which means your physical body is just going to get depleted and eventually die uh, a lot of people don't care 
Yeah. They'd rather just stay there. I mean, if you really make that choice, like, I never want to go back to the physical. I just want to stay in this realm. You don't care about that physical body. You don't care about that physical life. So why? Why mm. bother? And, you know, uh, we have we have plenty of, of tales of people. Um, we often say they're kidnapped by the fairy. But uh, I, I've seen memes. Millennials will go lay down in a mushroom circle. You know, <laughs> why would we think that our ancestors, there wouldn't be some people like that, that were out there, you know, oh, oh, no, I found a mushroom circle. Oh, no, please don't take me. You know, <laughs> that was happening. There were people like that. There's always people like that. <laughs> and, you know, they left for another world. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, chat's very quiet. Hardly anybody on tonight. Uh, your holidays in the US. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions? Um, are, are we too far off the deep end? Does anybody have any experiences with this that they'd like to share? Or anything like that? If anything's, if anything's not making sense at all, just let us know. We'll yeah. Try and explain it a bit better. Yeah. Um, Shall we? We'll give you a few minutes to mull that over and uh, see if you've got any questions afterwards. Uh, we'll take a quick break, I think, and then we'll come back. Um, just to remind everybody who is here now, uh, we are slowly moving Blackout Chat. We're rebranding it and everything into into the Wildwood, and we're slowly moving over to its own channel and its own website and a new podcast and everything else um there is a link in the description to go and uh, subscribe to into the wildwood so if you can go subscribe there and then you won't miss out on anything this is only happening at the beginning of next year so officially um we're trying to so give everybody sort of... good advance notice while we mm. we work behind the scenes to get everything moved over yeah all right, so we're going to take a quick break and we will be back just now. Go and grab another cuppa. Cheerio. Welcome back to the Blackout Chat. And today we are talking about dark and light time, uh, which we did do right at the beginning our first first official blackout chat show um and we are revisiting finally hello <laughs> solemn son you're here glad to join us we do have quite right. a few people here today mm. despite it being holiday ish and uh yeah load shedding in over here yeah <laughs> I don't have it today. Yeah. Hopefully, for everyone that watches this later, you'll have some comments and questions and and that sort mm. of thing. Yeah, and join us on on the Wildwood Temple Discord and uh, chat about it there. Yeah, some more because it's a fascinating topic. Probably one of my favourites. All right. Um, what can we do? In dark time what are all the possibilities 
I mean, mine is usually uh, just going and exploring the worlds and all the different nooks and crannies and trying to figure out where things are. Um, but we can do astral temple work. Mm -hmm. We can just stay in the astral temple and just carry on doing work. Yeah. Um, I have spent you know, I think, a couple of years yeah. doing that, just basically hanging out in my astral temple and doing work. Um, I, my main activity is studying, really, mm. and learning things, um, which I um, conceptualize sort of like going to the Akashic Records or hanging out in the Universal Archives and uh, absorbing wisdom. It's almost an osmotic process. Uh, or being in conversation with ancestors. Um, and, and of course, by ancestors, I don't just mean blood relations. I mean, all those who have come before me who know things <laughs> and are willing mm. to teach them. Uh, and then the other main thing that I do is healing. Uh, because in my understanding of the the realm that I go to f to do that, uh, it's like mucking about with the blueprints of life and the the pre-emanation. I mean, that's what astral means before the stars, um, before the emanation of light. And then once the emanation begins, it follows the pattern and then it, it manifests in that pattern. And so if you go change the pattern, instead of manifesting sickness or dis-ease, you manifest health, you manifest growth, you manifest abundance, those sorts of things. And mm. so I see that as healing, but it also might be considered money magic or abundance magic or protection magic. To me, it's, it's healing what is not right in the pattern that I'm experiencing. Mm. You know, so... Andrew's here. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Um, <clears throat> yeah, my thoughts just keep going tonight. They eventually come back, so that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say something else. I can't remember. It's gone again. Uh, all right. So, yeah, my astral temple is actually, I've got doors that kind of are kind of jump off points. So I can go there and I can I jump off into the world tree or something. So I can go there, come back and do some work in the astral temple and go out again. So uh, it's quite cool. You can, you can explore the middle world. Yeah. Which would be quite interesting. You know? Yeah. While you're busy farting around and in the physical world and doing your dishes and washing the clothes and doing your work, you can go and chat with the fae and what have you it's very interesting yeah my early astral projection when i was first learning to astral project uh was very much just kind of flying around here and really mm. um every once in a while i would kind of pop off into the astral that was like a dream world that i could manipulate but i wasn't terribly interested in that because i've been a lucid dreamer my entire life uh, mm. so I've always been able to manipulate my dreams and, and do whatever I want in the dream world so that didn't seem that interesting to me but 
learning to astral project, being able to kind of fly around here in the mundane world and, and go poke in at my friends' houses and, and, you know, all of the classic things of, um, I saw you on the computer and you were playing this game and they're like, how did you know that? You know, <laughs> which, which, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of that. <laughs> But that opportunity to explore. Um, and I think it's very interesting when we can link those up um, and link up that other world perception with the, this world perception. And that I really relate to, in addition to hedge riding, the idea of plowing the bloody acre. Mm -hmm. I think a very effective plowing. You know, we talk about getting down into reality, moving deep into the earth in that process. And it, it brings up the twilight vision, the trance vision. And I think that's the same as that simultaneous dark and light time. Mm. It's just um, not in another world. It's in this world. You're looking at the, the pre-emanation. You're looking at the blueprint of what will be or what was because they're the same thing. Um, and so that overlay, that 3D movie perception, you know, um, that is so very, very, very useful in the process of magic. And, you know, why would you do that? Because then you can do anything. Mm. Because then you are in the place where you can see how the worlds intersect. You can see how manifestation is, um, it's not a, an elusive or a secret process anymore. It's laid out right there, very clearly. Um, start to finish, finish to start, because it's all, it's all a loop. You know, and you can, it's much easier to uh, tweak things when you can see them and you can see how it's going to work. You know, if you're working on a machine and you make um, a change to a part, you have to put the machine all back together to see if it did what you think it should do. Mm. But in this case, the machine is already together. And the tweaks are over here and they're happening together in real time. So as soon as you tweak something, it appears because it's, it was and always has been because it will be. It, yeah. yeah, here we go with the, the weird time talk again. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so hard. It's so confusing. <laughs> Just timey wimey. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it's, um, I mean, something like uh, standing on the side of a stream. And we, we, kind of, we kind of talk about shifting our sight in order to see and interact with the, the nature spirits. Um, but we're still standing on the side of the stream. And that's very much the dark and light time aspect. We are bringing our awareness into both at the same time. Um, and I'd say that falls into this category also. Mm -hmm. You know, and and there are times, um, say you're out alone journeying in the woods, where it's it's straight up not safe to lose all awareness of your physical. Mm. You know, you can't 
You can't do that. It is too dangerous. You might wander into the river or the stream or the lake and drown. You, you know, you might set down in a campfire. I have actually done that. Um, <laughs> all sorts of things happen to the physical when you're not paying attention to it or when you're not synced up to it. So, uh, journeying, manifesting, communing, all of these things, I think, um, happen within this dark and light time brought mm -hmm. together. And they don't stay together well. Like I said, sometimes the patterns will align and it'll just be moments where stuff lines up and all of a sudden it's like, ah, everything lined up and you hear that harmonic chord, you know, and the light streams from the sky and then stuff moves on because they're moving mm. at different times. Or you can purposely kind of pull them together, which takes some work because you have to slow one down and you have to speed one up. And we're quite good at manipulating time as humans. Most of us don't think we are because we really have invested our belief in linear time and regimented linear time, especially in this day and age where we all have watches and cell phones and second counters and everything else. We really are, are constantly reminding ourselves of this illusion of linear time. But as humans, we're very good at speeding up time and slowing time down. And the key is emotion, just like mm -hmm. the vast majority of other magic. Um, but when you need to do it both ways at the same time, that takes detachment and emotional investment simultaneously. And I think that's the, the big key in magic for a lot of people is figuring out how to be emotionally invested and yet detached from the outcome. <laughs> Mm. And that's not easy. No. Uh, I want to come back to um, uh, shamanic journeying and um, the, the way beginners actually perceive things. Uh, just remind me. I just want to read Solomon's son's question. <coughs> um, do you have any tips for triggering more lucid dreams? I have them, but over... Years I shut myself off due to terrors and messed up my relationship with dreams. I'll leave that one to you. You're more experienced with that. Well, if you're shut off due to terrors, the first thing to do is protection. Make it safe again. Because you're never going to go back into an area that was dangerous that you protected yourself from. So you have to do whatever it takes to make it safe again. And then all of the, the regular lucid dreaming stuff, start a daily habit, you know, check your wrist, um, uh, you know, and every time you look at your wrist, you see that your bracelet is there or the red string is there. And at first you might uh, want an external stimulus to help you do this until it becomes habitual. Um, set an alarm on your watch, on your phone, something like that, that goes off every 15 minutes, once an hour. And just all you do is, you know, look at your hands. There's my hands. I know um, I'm awake because I have my bracelet on, right? And that's it. That's all the habit is. Look at your hands. Am I awake or asleep? Ding. Mm. 
end of, end of thing. But it you need to do it so often that it becomes habit and you'll start doing it in your dreams. And when you start doing it in your dreams, at first, you're going to say the same thing you say when you're awake. You're going to have these dreams. It's just going to be habit. Um, and, and you're going to look at your hands in your dreams and go, am I awake or asleep? I'm awake. And <laughs> on you go. But you're not. But it will bring more awareness to that state. And soon you'll look at your hands. You'll say, oh, I'm awake. And then just a little bit later, you'll catch up and go, wait, nope, that's a dream. You might not be able to control it yet and hit that lucid state, but soon that will come. And you need to keep up the habit in light time, in your waking time, until you can just drop into a dream and immediately realize it's a dream and take control of it. And by then you probably won't drop the habit anyways because it'll be so ingrained. If you already have a habit that you are not planning on stopping, you can attach it to that also in waking time. If you're already a smoker, you can check every time you have a smoke if you smoke in your dreams. Um, if you uh, do it every time you reach for your water bottle, you know, I try to have good habits, not just bad habits. Um, usually most things we call habits are bad habits, but it needs to be something you do multiple times a day. Brushing your teeth is not enough. That's only twice, maybe thrice a day at most. It needs like uh, 15, 20 times a day to start with, and it'll be super annoying the first week. Super annoying. Mm -hmm. And you'll want to quit, and you'll want to push it to the side. Most people do. Come back to it, you know, um, just come back and pick it up again. But that's the best way I know to get people into lucid dreaming. But especially since you blocked yourself off, you have to make it safe first. Um, and however you do that, protection, guardians, astral entities, somebody else watching your back, there's a lot of different ways to do protection and it, it entirely depends upon what you were experiencing that you shut yourself off from. Mm. All right, so to come back to my thing, um, I think one of the reasons this discussion is so very important, um, and especially for beginners doing something like shamanic journeying, um, we, you know, as we know, we sit down and we do everything X, Y, and Z, and we uh, consciously give our awareness to the other worlds. But at the same time, we are physically aware that we're sitting. I found a lot, or I think probably everybody, I know I did it myself. Um, we sort of become immersed in this astral world and we're taking this journey. And then something like a twitch or something happens on our body and it brings our awareness back. Hmm. And a lot of people feel that when that happens, they're now not in this other world. They've been brought back. And therefore, they've failed. Mm. Um, and I, I try to explain that you're still there because you are aware of your body. It's not like you're completely unconscious. Um, you're in both worlds at the same time. It's just that you are trying to shift your awareness into this one world so that you can become more immersed in it. But you're going to keep coming back and you're going to go backwards and forwards. 
Um, and sometimes people will, will tell me that, um, you know, they they come to a door or they, they see a tree or they see something and it, its appearance shifts as well, um, which happens. But because of that, they don't trust it. They don't feel like, um, you know, what their experience is actually real. Um, so I think I think this discussion is actually very important for all of that. Yeah, I, I do get that. I, I've taught meditation and um, done guided journeying classes for years and years and years. I'd say it's probably the most popular thing I teach. So I've been there with a lot of people as they're going on some of their first journeys as they're experiencing their meditation. And I agree, I hear all the time. I got an itch and it, it took me out of it, so I couldn't do it. I was only there for five seconds and then I got brought back. It's that passive voice. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that happens. You still have a physical body. You still have awareness of your physical body. You don't need to give that up or turn it off. Um, just mm -hmm. like when you're meditating, you don't need to be no mind and no thoughts. <laughs> That's not, not the deal here, you know, it, it's, it's both, it's a dual perception and it is not a failure to be journeying and need to scratch your shoulder. It, it mm -hmm. is not a failure to um, be in a trance state and have to adjust and move your spine around. Just like it's not a failure to be asleep and need to roll over in the middle of the night. You know, it, it's the same thing, but we have this perception of this, this perfect meditative trance, this perfect trance journey, this per perfect, you know, hedge crossing, and they aren't. None of them are. We're imperfect beings in imperfect bodies doing the best we can. And so being able to just, you know, jerk out, jerk in, ah, there's an itch and back. And realizing that um, there is a constancy on the other side, uh, usually. Uh, humans are absolutely capable of creating little pop-out imaginary pocket dimensions, and those things don't survive very well unless you're in them, giving them energy. They kind of wither and die pretty quickly when you're not there. But if you're really getting out or um, getting across, you're going to a real place with real things happening and other entities that aren't you influencing things. And you can, you can go back even if you turn your head away for a brief moment, even if mm -hmm. you blink in that other world. And that's really what it feels like to me most often because my experience of dark time is much, much slower generally speaking, than my experience of light time. What is a week here is maybe a day, half a day there. That's the average. And of course, it changes because time is, is not steady. It's kind of a wah, wah, wah um, pulsing, you know. But because of that, a brief sleep in the astral uh, a blink in dark time is not that long. It, it, 
it can be a couple hours over here where I have to work, where I have to focus, where I need to be engaged in light time and, and carefully driving my car to work. And, <laughs> um, and it, it's just a moment over there, even if it's not my full attention. So, mm. but I don't, I also don't think we should always be simultaneously existing in both because it gets really tiring. I did spend like four or five years, you know, being, being the overachiever, nose to the grindstone personality that I am, where like every single night I went to work in the astral every night and just, you know, mm. put in a good 19 hour day there and a 19 hour day here. And yeah, mm. you can get more time out of time. This kind of work makes more than 24 hours in a day. Absolutely. But uh, you still need fuel. You still need nourishment to make all of that happen. And it can get super exhausting super fast if you're not paying attention to that and, and really taking care of that. And like those two and a half, three years that I did that, at the end of that, I stopped because I was so utterly burnt out and exhausted. I couldn't do anything anywhere. My physical mm. body was done. I had used up my life force and I had to figure out how to walk again. I was in a wheelchair for a while. <laughs> I had problems speaking. I had mutism. Mm. You know, I, I had a lot of serious problems and I attribute it to that kind of work. That was not, not a good idea. It was not a good idea to jump into the deep end and go like that. But I think it is useful in small doses to experience once you get astral projection, other state trance journeying under your belt, whatever we're going to mm -hmm. call being able to go into dark time. Yeah. yeah. I've always thought that, um, you know, when we go to sleep, our dream body wakes up. And when our dream body goes to sleep, this body wakes up mm -hmm. and they alternate and you kind of kind of think about it and you think, yeah, but if you spend 17, 18 hours here awake and your dream body spends 17, 18 hours awake, how does that add up to a 24 hour day? Well, it doesn't need to. <laughs> nope. It doesn't need to. It doesn't yeah. need to. But you do need to um, nourish both sides of the equation. And I'm, I'm going to make the mm -hmm. caution that I'm sure that I made last time we talked about this. I am not telling anyone to eat food in the realm of the Fae. Um, mm. Because uh, I think the lore speaks for itself that that is super dangerous. Super dangerous. Mm. But there are other forms of nourishment. Um, we can absolutely nourish the astral body through the physical exercise is an amazing way to do that a lot of people don't think of exercise as a form of nourishment they think of it as a form of expense because mm. it is an expense on the physical uh, but it is actually a nourishment for the astral so uh, that is one safe way that you can nourish the astral body and spend longer and longer times in dark time is by keeping up a very good exercise routine Mm -hmm. uh, let me go over to the chat. Um, Andrea said, I'm sorry, I don't see people for weeks at a time. Then as soon as I catch a live stream, two friends turn up. Well, tell them to join the live stream. There you go. <laughs> Come in. We're having um, a weird-ass <laughs> chat. 
<laughs> Easy to follow. Um, Solemn Sunset, uh, lots of progressively apocalyptic dreams, lots of looping, long adventures that would repeat nightmarish things happening around me. Uh, that's very helpful, though. I will give this a go. Um, and then a question. I noticed that a loud sound at a certain moment of in-between sleep will make me sink deeper into sleep. Sound can be a trigger for time. Yep. Um, just like you hear a jet break the sound barrier when they go so fast, um, there are noises that accompany uh, the change from one trance state to another. Mm. And um, usually they're perceived as very loud and very sudden by most people. Sometimes people hear their name or they hear doors close or something like that they they add a um your brain is very good at adding an explanation because your brain filters out a ton of information just takes it and goes we've heard this and discards it um but it only discards it if there's an explanation for it if you can be like that's that that's that that's that i don't have to worry about it and that's you know basic evolution you respond to new stimulus because new stimulus may mean danger existing stimulus just means the environment hasn't changed if the environment was safe and it hasn't changed it's still safe so uh, a lot of the the sound phenomenon that people hear as they experience that um, transition from wake to twilight time to sleep often gets interpreted as house noises animal noises that sort of thing but often it's the breakover point the breaking through that barrier and we hear that sound because we're junking down into the next phase of awareness and dropping and it really is like dropping off a cliff you're going along alpha waves alpha waves alpha waves delta waves delta waves delta waves <laughs> So um, that thunk comes with uh, noise. It also often comes with muscle response. Um, it's harder to notice in your own body because of uh, the paralysis. Uh, if, if your body's working right and you don't have um, uh, uh, night walking, sleepwalking, the uh, chemicals in your endocrine glands will, sw will switch on muscle paralysis before you drop into that deeper trance state into those delta waves and this is so you don't get up and act out your dreams right but that's not it's not always a perfect system it doesn't always flood everywhere and usually it takes time to build up and so it's real easy to observe in other people and mammals i'm sure we've all watched dogs have puppy dreams where they run right or they kind of bark or they chase something um you can watch other humans kind of mumble in their sleep. They kind of raise their hands sometimes. It's weak responses, but your muscles are still doing all the things because you're still doing all the things. And so that drop down often comes with jerks, kicks, uh, sudden movements, which in the medical world we call myoclonic jerks, um, just the muscles spasming. As you fall to sleep so there's lots of lots of uh, stimulus and um, signs that happen as you drop into the deeper sleep 
Uh, but I also want to talk about having progressively apocalyptic dreams and long looping nightmares. Uh, you need to shield yourself better because that's just picking up on what's going on around you. Um, as a child, I just watched people die again and again and again in my dreams. That was all I dreamt about. I just watched people die. I watched people being tortured. I watched people being raped. I watched horrible things in my dreams again and again, and I hated it. I mean, who wouldn't? Every time you go to sleep, it's a horrible nightmare. And sometimes it would just be the same thing on loop. This horrible play out of somebody's terrible, abusive childhood on loop. And it's because it's um, some of the strongest impressions in the emotional field are those sorts of things. People crying out for help, people in severe pain, people dying unexpectedly. I didn't watch anybody die peacefully in their bed while they were, you know, surrounded by friends and family and expecting it. I watched car wrecks. I watched sudden heart attacks. Um, and when I finally learned to properly shield myself and my home and my bed, that stuff didn't seep in so often. Now, when I started astral projecting, I'll right back in it because it's the intense emotional fields that you encounter. It's the easiest thing to pick up on. It's the loudest signal. It's like going along on a radio and half the band is that kind of stuff. You know, you're, you're trying to find white noise, but there's hardly any white noise in there. It's just a lot of pain. So um, you're, not, um, you're not out of the norm there in those experiences. Those are very common experiences. Um, it means that you are really getting into an astral state. It means that you are open and receptive and that you're, you know, getting into the right point for lucid dreaming. It's just that our world is in pain and the people around us are in massive amounts of pain. And that's what we hear because it's the loudest. Mm. Uh, you, you actually explained something now, which now makes more sense to me. Um, I have something that happens when I'm getting into that hypnagogic state. Um, that's the I word. do kind of, yeah, I do, <laughs> I do, I do often hear like a completely different voice say something and I've always felt like it's me tuning into somebody else. Um, but there's something happens and I have, I cannot put it into words. It's something that happens with my head. Um, and it's a sense, it's a, almost like a physical sensation, but it's not, I, I just cannot put it into words to explain it. But that, what you said just now about you kind of fall, you drop down. That's the kind of a sensation I feel, um, when it happens. So that, that now explains that. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the process from one state to another is not this gradual line that we all would like it to be. It's ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Lady, Lady Capera is here. How are you? Hello, hello. hello. Uh, Solemn said that. So, uh, try that again. Um, Solemn Sun said that's incredibly helpful. Well, pleasure from Kai. <laughs> Um, Glad it's helpful. Uh, 
Yeah, did have another question though. Um, can you describe how you started to feel the wear and tear from your journeying? Um, is it just felt in energy loss and then followed by complication? Well, it is kind of energy loss and then you start getting sick. You usually get flu or something like that. Yeah. Because um, your energy just deteriorates. I think for a lot of us, we don't recognize the energy loss. And even if we do, we don't honor it. Mm. We go, oh, I'm tired. I got to push through. Well, I didn't get mm. enough sleep last night. Let me have a cup of coffee. I'm feeling kind of run down. I'll take 10 minutes, you know, to meditate. Or um, I'll just have another Red Bull or something like that. I hear that kind of talk from people all the time. And the thing is, that's your early warning system. If you push through that and continue depletion, especially through um, bringing in substances that help you ignore it, you're just, you're not just burning the candle at both ends. You lit a fire in the middle now, and you're going to now cause problems, things like getting a flu and that sort of thing, because you can't fight off the germs that are always around you. You can't mount a defense against the cold virus that you've been breathing in for the last 10 weeks, doing fine, you know, but now um, all infection, all decay is opportunity. Um, the, the fungi that break down uh, physical matter and turn it into something that physical matter can take up, that the, the cauldron of transformation that happens in the world is constant. The only thing that keeps your physical body from breaking down is you fighting that stuff off. When you're no longer transforming and producing body heat, with your, when you're no longer turning nourishment and oxygen into energy in your cells, then decay begins. And, and this is how it always is. So if you're not running at building life, you are now building blocks for life and will be broken down. There is never a time that the energies of decay are not in and around us because they are part of the energies of life. So when we begin to get depleted, when we begin to lose the energy to do all of the processes that we need to do, physical, mental, spiritual, all of the that energy begins to decay, um, then, you know, everything else comes in to break us down and recycle us into the next phase. And that happens across all levels. This is why astral parasites are such a huge problem. Because they're always there. They're, you can't, we can't like set off a bug bomb and, and rid the world of astral parasites. They're a necessary part of things. They are, are the, the leeches and the, the fungi and the bacteria that break down all of that excess astral energy that people are putting off. And people are putting it off all the time by thinking things, by saying things, by daydreaming, right? Something has to make that little pocket dimension decay and turn it back into the building blocks to build another pocket dimension. So as soon as you're not fighting them off, they're eating you. And the more that happens, the worse you will get, 
the more things will break down. It will take more energy to overcome it. It's a vicious cycle, uh, but it's nature's cycle. So we really need to pay attention to when we get tired, when we get run down, when we are overwhelmed, when we are hitting those barriers. And our modern Western society does not encourage that. It encourages us to push through them and live way past that line, you know, and especially, especially through the use of substances that dull our senses to what is happening. So we don't feel the pain. We don't treat anything else. <laughs> We're not taking care of actually healing the problem. We're just not feeling the discomfort anymore. And so that first bit of discomfort, that first twinge of, I'm kind of tired, you know, this is a lot, I should back off. Do it. Back off. Heal. Restore. Don't reach for the coffee, you know. Reach for the, the nourishing tea that's going to restore your body. Um, if you are depleted of fire, reach for the fire tea, something warming. If you're depleted of cool, reach for something cooling, you know bring bring things back into balance uh, because entropy is and in order to maintain order you have to fight entropy and it, there will always be a push and pull line no matter what we do we just want to stay on the life side of the line so um yeah feeling that energy loss on any level it just kind of depends where you're the most sensitive where you feel it first but if it's happening on one level it's happening on all of them mm. um lady Capera said i hear music of the spheres and get a huge burst of dmt right before i get visions yep mm. um so i i've i've always had a theory and i've never actually discussed it so i thought i might discuss it so the whole idea of when we go to sleep, our dream body wakes up and vice versa. For somebody who is an insomniac in this reality, um, and they may get two or three hours a night sleep, um, my theory has been, I mean, that is we always put it down to stress and such things, and therefore the person's not sleeping. Um, I've always considered or wondered if the dream body is sleeping too much through because of depression. Yeah, that's how I always have, a, yeah. have understood it. Your your dream self is depressed because you're not singing and dancing. You know, uh, that's if you mm. if you're not getting any nourishment of joy. Uh, nourishment of of love then you can't you can't wake up there so you can't sleep here mm. so i think probably a good idea because you know the way we view it here is um you are not sleeping because of stress therefore you have to do x y and z in order to try and remove that stress I think if we try to work with the dream body um, simultaneously um, through working with dark and light time to try and resolve the problems on both sides, 
and we can bring all of that back into balance and both bodies would then be happy hopefully mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i i agree that's how i've understood it for some time is um mm. the soul the the fetch the 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 inner self is asleep and won't wake up so you can't mm. dream and you know um we have all of these studies uh on on the physical side that people who don't dream they fall into depression very very quickly our brains don't work if they don't dream and yet mm. uh, modern science doesn't really have an explanation for why we dream there's that that uh, practice theory that we go through scenarios so we can practice them so we can have the best response uh, but that mainly involves nightmares right mm. uh, what what am i practicing when i dream about a house <laughs> mm. you know um what am i practicing when i keep dreaming about red waving flags you know is it a metaphor that the person i'm talking to is full of red flags or is is something else going on you know mm. i keep waking up in that field of wheat that has purple in the grains what am i practicing for that stay away from ergot poisoning i don't know you know <laughs> but we do know that we have to dream we absolutely have to experience rapid eye movement and dream states we absolutely have to have delta and theta states in our sleeping phases and we have to sleep i know our modern world would love to conquer the sleep problem i don't know how many studies i've read about the sleep problem i'm like sleep is not a problem <laughs> <laughs> the idea that you think that people need to be productive without sleep is the problem <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah. but and you know spiritually speaking all of these things we talk about are they metaphors are they explanations are they you know reasons who cares does it work you know mm. if we're describing insomnia as a depression of the astral body and we can fix it by using that narrative is it an mm. explanation is it a rationale is it a metaphor does it matter as long as it gets done and works yeah. and works yeah. uh, lady cabrera said remote viewing is an awesome tool for aiding astral body to stay more grounded in my experience yeah. no i don't know I, I have never thought of my astral body being grounded, so mm. wrapping my head around that. Yeah, because why don't we? I mean, we always talk about grounding ourselves here. Why would we not have to ground our astral body? If it gets too too much of an influx of energy. I mean, that's why we do do grounding here. If we get too much energy, we ground it. Yeah. And I'm always thinking about grounding and centering because they're the same process. They're not separated. 
And centering is just getting all of those disparate bodies back together and aligned with all the centers matching up, mm. you know, getting um, everything centered around that assemblage point instead mm. of all of your, your circles being disparate, all still containing the self, the point of consciousness, but not lined up correctly. But because uh, when I ground, I, I don't necessarily keep my astral body here in the physical. I send it down into the ground mm. and establish a larger astral body than a physical body. Yeah. Mm. Interesting way to phrase that. Yeah, I have to think about that. Mm. So I'm scratching tonight because I've got a bloody mozzie flying around. I haven't put my fan on. <laughs> you know, when, you know, in a mozzie, you feel a mozzie. Now, now you're just going to scratch everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's another one of those evolutionary defense mechanisms. Like, eh, <laughs> uh... Uh, Lady Crow said, uh, working with a watcher, personal daemon, uh, to protect from astral attachments. That's how I make grounding. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna wrap my head around that one as well. I think my brain's gone gone to sleep personally. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, the other thing I find dark and light time really useful for is journeying. Mm. Um, going on walkabout going out and walking in the dream time. Um, in our modern world, lots of people feel very disconnected. We live in cities, we live in apartments. How many, I mean, the, the phrase on the internet these days is touch grass. <laughs> you know, when you've lost your shit and flown off the handle, touch grass. And um, we need more than just that. We are clearly feeling the lack of connection with the land right we're clearly feeling disconnected and one way i find to deeply connect to the land not just go out and hug a tree which is great or dig your hands and feet into the cool dirt which is also amazing and wonderful but is to actually find the sacred within the land that you exist upon and the way to do that is to walk around in light time in the physical but look in dark time experience in dark time because you can't always see it the mother tree the umphalos of the earth um, the axis mundi uh, the opening to the tomb in light time it, somebody may have built a, a quick trip on top of it or some other stupid thing you know <laughs> Um, usually not, but churches are definitely built on top of lots of those kinds of places. Um, mm. Or they're roped off, or the noise um, just from the the um, hive life of humans is so deafening that it's hard to hear the trees speak. And so often we feel we have to get out of the city, we have to get out of that concrete jungle, 
in order to connect with nature and go out. But it's so, so very important to connect where you live, where you sleep, where you renew to all of those sacred places in the landscape and actually journeying, actually walking around with your two feet um, and finding those places, I think is one of the most important uses for that hedge riding, for having a foot in both worlds. Uh, because mm. once you can can deeply connect, even living in a city, you know, amongst all the concrete and everything, then you will have roots. You will have, you will have the, the connection that we so desperately need as humans, as much as we need sleep and as much as we need food and air. We must have roots. We must have a place in the universe. And, you know, I talk about this like centering your compass, that sort of thing, which is kind of the esoteric understanding of this. But being able to connect to the sacred landscape is a very physical process, very, very physical process. And I think we talk about it too metaphorically, you know, how many world trees are there all over the world? Thor's ash, Thor's trees, uh, the ermine souls, the Yggdrasils, all of these. There's hundreds of thousands of them, right? There's not just one. You don't have to travel mm. to some other continent to be to the world tree. But they're all one. Because they are the mm. world tree. They are all the Axis Mundi. And you need to tap into those things. You need to connect to those things. Um, and, and being able to see them when looking through both eyes. Because they stand out in the astral. They're super easy to spot. They're, they're neon giant spotlights that thrum with life energy. You can't miss it. But in the physical, you won't see it. So you have to look with both mm. eyes. Yeah, Peter Patton used to say, um, all lands are one land. He used to talk a lot about uh, connecting with with the land that he came from because he was living in a foreign country, which mm -hmm. you know, I do now. And it's kind of like a, a case of reaching down and finding that on land that's common. Um, and I think also, um, I mean, people live, live, live in cities and whatnot um, and connecting with the sacred land. Um, I mean, my, my area is not as built up as some, um, but I found that when I was, when I was driving a car, I missed a lot of stuff, mm. but now that I'm actually walking, I, I found like little, little pockets of nature, like here and there. Um, there's a park down the road with the river. There's a, um, a small stream that, that runs just up here and there's a, a, a area that I can, I could go and walk on. It's a bit wilder than I'd, I'd like because uh, you, <laughs> you walk very well on there. But if I walk down the road, there's a path. Um, I haven't been all the way down the path. I haven't gotten down there yet. But it connects this road with another road somewhere else. But you walk down there and it's just wild. There's so many plants and it's just weed. Or I'm going to say weeds because they are in the wrong place. They should be 
in a garden that I own somewhere. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they don't think so. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but it's just, it's just, you know, it's just this path, and it's got houses on this side and houses on that side. But it's wild. It's just, it's fantastic. You know, all these little spots that we can find if we actually go exploring and walking around actually physically walking because uh, we miss it otherwise yeah and and i really agree with your point about when you're in a car you miss so many things and i mean i enjoy the drive to a remote location to do ritual drive to a beautiful spot to connect to the land but that spot is always going to be away because mm. you disconnect from the land when you drive you're just passing over it too fast you're passing mm. through other realms you're passing through so much change so quickly and it's just like when you you journey and you go in trance you're going away you're going across the hedge you're going out and about and there's nothing wrong with that but it's only one piece of the equation when you walk mm. there from where you sleep then there is a path there is a connection the whole way you have a chance to to uh, bring union with every step you know you have a chance to observe you have a chance to to encounter you don't have that when you drive and i think only driving to the magical places the nature places makes us feel even more disconnected because we can never bring it home. Mm. We can never connect it to where we spend all of our time. It's always out there. It's always over there. It's always a journey away. Just like mm. astral traveling. If that's, you know, if you always go out there and you always leave the physical, how do you connect it to the physical? How do you actually bring anything back? How do you actually weave yourself into the web of life? Mm. It's actually it just came to mind uh, in Robin Artisan's book, um, Clovenstead work, Clovenstone Workings. Um, there's a series of workings in there that he talks about where it's to do with um, creation of a writing staff. Mm. Um, and Part of it is actually taking a walk from where you sleep um, around the block. And if we consider a, a block to have four corners, we put markers at each of the corners as we walk, physically walking. Mm -hmm. um, and then we practice going to bed with our riding staff and actually taking the journey with the riding staff during sleep around and, and going past those markers, uh, which I thought was rather good. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I walk my, my block every day that I can. Of course, sometimes the weather and I don't agree mm -hmm. about things because while I would love to be outside, my joints are rather not pleased about it being below 40 degrees. So <laughs> mm -hmm. makes it more difficult now. I have to bundle up look like the little kid in the snowsuit but i'm out there doing my walk with my staff half the time looking like a grumpy old witch 
That's okay. Yeah. There's lots of pagans and witches in my neighborhood. They're pretty used to it. Let's <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, see. Lady Cabrera said uh, the spirit's connected to your local biosphere. People are nature deficient. Mm. I think we choose to be. Well, well our, our, the our culture and environment puts us in this this situation and we have to we have to find ways to connect it's not part of our natural uh mm. home of life not not in the culture and society that i live in for sure julie mm. uh, andra julie the great um in my experience it's been incredibly more difficult to connect to nature place spirits in suburbia um, suburgatory. Suburgatory. Um, That's fucking great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, um, then it's been to connect in cities. Suburban land feels so barren and tortured. Yeah, I've, I've, I don't find that myself. I've, maybe it's just my area. Ah, suburbia is, yeah. It's, suburgatory is an apt description. It is barren mm. and tortured. It is stripped. It is raped. It is raw and bleeding. There's no mm. healing there. You have to heal the land because it is so wounded that it can't help. Yeah. By area, I don't. It's not it's very different to that. That's good. Mm. Uh, I think we were talking about it a year or two back, actually, the little spot up here. I mean, it's got a load of trash that keeps getting thrown there, but it just grows. It grows over the trash. It like consumes it. Mm. Um, it's not stopping. It's not you know. It's not holding back. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's very. I think it's still very healthy around here. Fortunately. Yeah, cities have their own other life to them mm. that they develop. Uh, it's. Mm. I, I would say it's a half life compared to you know, what it could be, but, uh, just get rid of the porn people. Um, hang on. I'd use on this channel. There we go. Goodbye, porn people. There we go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gotta have porn. I mean, what else is the internet for? Right. But, <laughs> but yeah, it is, we have to take the time we talked about, you know, witches have to heal. Witches have to connect to the land. Witches have to heal. And some witches are called to heal people. Some are called to heal animals. But I think a lot of us are called to heal the land. Because everything comes from the land. Um, everything. All of our food, mm. all of our life. You know, um, I, I think about my permaculture training. You don't grow plants, you grow soil. And the soil grows the plants. Because if you just try to grow plants, you get into unsustainable agriculture that we have today where the soil has no nutrients in it. You have to dump tons of chemical fertilizers into it. It can't hold water. Uh, so you have to irrigate all the time. You can't just rely on 
natural rainfall, you're trying to grow plants. Well, people don't grow plants. Soil grows plants. And soil is not just dirt. It is a whole living ecosystem teeming with all kinds of life. The life that we can see, earthworms and grubs and, and things like that, that move the soil and aerate it and, and eat and decompose things, but also the soil we can't see, nematodes and bacteria and fungi and all this other stuff. And it takes that entire ecosystem to grow plants. And humans don't live without plants. I know carnivore diets are super popular, but guess what the meat eats? Plants. <laughs> plants are absolutely necessary for life. And in order to have life, we must have the soil ecology. We must have a complete system. And dead land that has no life in it, that has been stripped, um, that has had the topsoil removed, because soil is not deep. It's like six, eight inches topsoil. That's what plants grow in. That's where nourishment is. Um, when that is stripped off, like what happens in suburban developments, where these houses are thrown up so quickly and they just scrape the land raw, it, it's like having skin ripped off. You know, uh, it's not going to work. The life has been removed and we can feel it. You can f just feel the difference between dead land. You could just look at houses on the internet and tell which ones are dead and which ones are alive. Because we know that there has to be life, that there has to be that complete cycle, that there has to be something breaking things down into those building blocks in order for life to build up out of it. Without death, there's not growth, there's not life. And so, you know, I think a lot of us find ourselves, we go through our journey, we get through all of the, the pains of adolescence and growing in adulthood, we find the craft, we develop all of these senses, and then while it suddenly we're like, oh my God, the world is in pain. Everything hurts. And we find ourselves planted in these places. And I always think of, we're the pioneer species. We're the 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 weeds that infiltrate the dead land we're the ones that start the reclaiming process we're the ones that go to that newly turned over wound scraped through everything and say i'll grow here and i'll give more than i take i will return nutrients i will take the sun's light i will take the the nutrients in the air and i will return it through my roots and i will give to the land so that something else can grow something that is not a pioneer species, something that is not as tough as me, something can come along in the next generation. And over multiple generations, we will reclaim this land and we will restore it to life. And I really think that's where we are in the craft as a whole. We're a pioneer species. We're finding the wounds, we're finding the scraped raw places in the land, and we gotta put down roots. We have to put down roots even though it's painful, even though we're putting them into soil that has nothing to give, because we have to give back somehow. We have to return those nutrients. Because if we don't do it, then who? Mm. You know? And that's not just European crafters and traditional witchcraft. That's everybody who does magic on the land. Everybody who interacts 
tons of magic workers through all sorts of cultures and traditions all over the world. I think we're all feeling that call. We're all feeling that that desperate desperateness <laughs> of do it now because there's more there's more wound than wholeness. And the body will not survive without being tended to and bandaged. Mm -hmm. I think we've moved away from dark and light time. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's just the wandering path. As we do, yes. Um, Juliandra the Great says maybe suburban divisions are built differently in North America. I know in Yorkshire, England, their suburbia doesn't feel the same as American suburbia, for example. Yeah, that's probably why um, I'm not seeing the same type of thing where I am. I mean, there's obviously, you go into the CBD areas and that's just concrete everywhere, but uh, yeah, not where I am, fortunately. Um, all right. Uh, um, Julie Andrew is great. So also, so gardening, for instance, in suburgatory, it takes years to amend the raped soil. The traumatized yeah. soil is hardened and remo and removed and compacted. Yeah. 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 Um, that battle right now has started with the insistence of allowing suburban lawns to stop being poisoned and manicured, manufactured, allow those dandelions, allow overgrowth. Oh, I know that. That's my my crusade with my neighbors. I keep begging them, stop breaking your leaves, stop spraying chemicals on your lawn, stop dumping all these fertilizers in. You know, why? Why would you rake the leaves off in the fall and then dump a bunch of fertilizers in in the spring? The leaves were there. That's the fertilizer. That's the thing that makes soil. <laughs> Leave <laughs> them alone. But no, they must busy themselves like ants toiling against nothing. And then then they complain about the cost of it all and hauling it all away and paying for the fertilizers and all the extra water and the runoff and everything. And then they're sick and they're getting cancer and everything else. And I'm like, if you would just sit the fuck down and leave shit alone, <laughs> it would be way better. Mm -hmm. But then they're always like, but your garden looks so pretty. Yeah, <laughs> sit down, let nature grow. Stop removing the leaves, but <laughs> some I've converted a few neighbors, not all of them, but I'm getting there. Mm. They all, yeah, I'm sure the ones that I haven't converted think I'm insane, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Leave my soil alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we bring today to a, a grinding halt. Uh, <laughs> we've been on for two hours. A grinding halt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, before we do go, though, just a reminder again, and we'll keep reminding you every week, so, you know, you're going to hear this a lot. Uh, we are transferring we are rebranding we are moving everything over well, this at least to its own channel and website etc it's going to be called into the wildwood and that will be officially done or start uh, at the beginning of the year next year 
so we're just moving everything over slowly. But if you could please go and subscribe to Into the Wildwoods uh, YouTube channel um, so we can make everything seamless as we carry on. Um, the link is in the description to today's live. Um, so yeah, Black Hat Chat is going to change. Uh, oh look, we had a, something from Solemn Sun. It said some spirits prefer to be called in a light or dark time. Is it that they prefer it because of the light, or is the idea catered more to humans' perception? I don't think it's got to do with actual light or darkness. Oh, I do. Do you? Yeah. But the next, or is it tied more to planetary energies? But yes, oh, those yeah. are both the same thing, uh, because mm. light, it's all about light. And all about the the light or the absence of light, which we call dark. And I don't think it's human perception. I think it really is. It has to do with light and, and frequency and vibration. And actually, next week is the astro forecast. And I would love to talk about sect, which is whether it's day or night. <laughs> and, okay. and planets in day or night and timing in day or night and all of that. Because I think that's core and fundamental to the understanding of astrology and therefore to the understanding of what the fuck time is if it's not linear hmm. all right so definitely tune in next week <laughs> same place same time for now <laughs> yeah. if you haven't joined the wildwood temple on discord uh the link tree is in the description as well law links are in there and Go uh, join there and we can carry on the chats. Here we go. Thank you all for being with us today. Um, Thank you. Semi holiday, holiday day. Those were words. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a very semi holiday day. It's a semi holiday day. <laughs> this was a, a very interesting yeah, and exciting cool. discussion. I'm very glad we came back to this topic, even if it took us a year and a half. Yeah. We'll come back to it again. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. And see you next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today in the Black Hat Chat. Have a look in the description of this podcast or in the About section for all of our links and tune in next week for another exciting chat. <laughs>